transmission. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, we've got some Madison City Council updates. We are going to be talking about Social Security last week in Southern Labor, and we'll be playing an advertisement from a very angry pro-child labor lawyer. All that and more on today's program. Uh, We've got a phone number and the line is open. You can call or text 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave a voicemail or send us a text message throughout the week and we might reply to it on the next program. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online, folks. We are on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, uh, and especially now that we are launching our expansion, there's going to be a lot more content coming out in the week. So you definitely want to make sure that you're you're, uh, following us online. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So if you want to become a sustaining member of the program, make a one-time donation or buy our hat here, we've got one of these bad boys left. You can go to our website. That's tvlr.fm. You can become a sustaining member of the program at tvlr.fm slash donate. You can buy our merch at tvlr.fm slash store or become a patron at patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. If you're a member of a union, then definitely think about getting your local to sponsor the show. Um, You can reach out to us for more details on that. Yeah, and let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. Welcome to all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. We're proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, and we encourage our listeners to check it out. All right, so folks, I've got some good news if you're getting tired of those uh, regular near-daily emails asking for money. Our fundraiser is going to be stopping soon, but it is still on for now. So go ahead and head over to tvlr.fm expand to help us reach our goal. We are about $900 short, uh, which, is, which is, I think pretty cool for uh you know the small project that we are to be able to raise about four thousand dollars in a month Uh, i think we've done uh pretty well and we're super thankful for all the people that have supported the show it really means a lot um and just just a reminder 
you know, we really went through kind of in depth, spent about 15 or 20 minutes explaining and really kind of letting you peek behind the curtain, uh, showing you how much money it costs to do things as it is, and then what we plan to do and how much money that's going to cost. But just really quickly, you know, the expansion is more or less that we want to do more stuff. And we want to get in front of more people. And so that's going to be original reporting. Some of it's going to be in-house, some by freelancers that uh, we're going to be working with. There's going to be a new weekly show, the first of which debuts this week. So make sure that you're following us on YouTube and Facebook where, where you'll be able to watch that during the week. And that new show is going to be about labor, history, and education. Uh, so it's not a newsy or a politics type thing. It's about... Uh, Labor history and education, so lots of good stuff, uh, and I'm really excited about uh, watching that. Um, in no small part, because it's an Adam Solo project, and so I don't have to do anything for it. So, <laughs> But uh, he's got some good stuff planned for you this week. We're also going to be securing broader syndication of our work. Uh, and, you know, you can kind of see some of that uh, that's already happened. Uh, last week I had an op-ed in AL.com about Social Security. We're going to be kind of riffing on that article today. Um, and we're going to be doing more of that, getting uh, getting on more websites, doing more opinion pieces and other websites, trying to get our reporting on other websites like AL.com, Alabama Political Reporter, maybe some of the local news stations, stuff like that. We're also going to be uh, sending out weekly and something like daily newsletters. Maybe not exactly daily, but something like daily newsletters. Uh, so if you want to be one of those, then drop your name in our contact form, tblr.fm slash contact. If you have been receiving emails from me, fundraising emails from me uh, throughout this month, then you are on our weekly list. We wanted to be able to, you know, take advantage of the list that we already have for this newsletter. Uh, but we also didn't want to be so presumptuous as to assume that everybody's going to want a daily email from us for the foreseeable future. So uh, so if you've been receiving email, uh, fundraising emails from me this month, then you are on our, you're automatically going to be on our weekly newsletter list. And that is going to basically kind of highlight some of the stuff, some of our original stuff that we have released the prior week. And our daily newsletter is going to do that, but just every day. Because we're going to be releasing new stuff every day. We already release at least two YouTube videos every day. And now we're going to be releasing one to two written pieces every day as well. So you'll get those right in your inbox every day. If you want that, then uh, drop a note in our contact form, tvlr.fm slash contact. Let us know you want to be on the daily newsletter. Uh, and uh, so to, to, you know, that's, that's all, you know, a significant amount of more work. And so um, to do that, we're going to be shifting our organization, a lot of our organization from volunteer to paid positions. We're going to be increasing the people, increasing the hourly rate that people are already paid. And uh, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay on as a volunteer though. Like I said last week, um, if for nothing else, then I, I simply can't, I, I'm already like at capacity with how much I can do for the show. Um, so even if, even if the show were to pay me, wouldn't be able to get anything more out of me because I don't have any more time to give. Um, but by our calculations, that's going to require approximately $4,000 more a month than we're bringing in right now. So that's why we wanted to do this fundraiser in March, in February so that we could do it, um, so that we could expand in March 
and basically operate at that level while and and bring folks on while we're trying to bring more sponsors into the regular rotation and stuff like that. So uh, so donate to the fundraiser, tvlr.fm slash expand. Um, if you want something a little bit more material for your donation, then you can go to our store, tvlr.fm slash store, where we have one more of these hats, these Unions Good Things Graphs hats. Um, really cool trucker hat. Um, we've got one more of those left. We have one more large join a union shirt. Uh, join a union or the boss will get you. It's large and it's red. Um, and then we have pre-orders open for our Good Things State Tea that was um, that we commissioned the art by Tabitha Arnold. And we were going to close the pre-orders uh, tomorrow on that, but um, after some conversation uh, this morning with Adam, we decided to uh, we decided we're going to extend pre-orders for a week. So those pre-orders are going to be uh, open until Sunday. Is that March the twelfth? A week from tomorrow. A week from Sunday, March the 5th is when we're going to be. Let me pull up my calendar so I can just... Yeah, Sunday, March 12th. Sunday, March 12th is the last day that you can pre-order those um, Good Things State Tees that are designed by Tabitha Arnold. Really cool stuff. And the shirt is also... Like, the material of the shirt is also really cool. I I like it a lot. It's um, obviously 100% union. Uh, it's um, produced by American Roots Wear. It is a... Oh, you know what? I'm going to be in Maine next week. I wonder if I can stop by their facility and just say hi to them while I'm there. But um, You should totally do that. Yeah. yeah. Check in with our uh, USW brothers and sisters yeah, at work at American cool. Roots. Um, I'll talk to you about my trip to Maine next week later in the show. But um, but it's 100% union made in Maine. And the, you know, a lot of like, so I, I like this shirt, this Starbucks shirt. And probably several of y'all have it. And this is like, a standard kind of union tea, right? It's kind of harsh. It's, you know, it's just not very soft. It's not like something you might get at like a retail store, but it's like an organization tea. And you get those everywhere, any organization, a union, your company, you know, your church maybe, you know, they all get kind of very similar t-shirts. Um, and this is what the Starbucks tea is here. But um, these t-shirts from American Roots are softer. They're thicker. Um, I like them. Uh, I like them a lot, and they're also significantly more expensive, so that's why those shirts are going to be thirty-two dollars plus shipping. Um, and uh, we're still not—we're not—we're going to be making five dollars per shirt on those, so that's not a whole lot of money. Uh, it would, at cost, it would—if uh, we sold them at cost, it would be like twenty-seven bucks uh, because of the art that we paid for um, and because of the shirt. So uh, I think really high-quality stuff. So go ahead and place your pre-order before they close a week from tomorrow on Sunday, March the 12th. Yeah, you TVL guys don't want to miss it. Yeah, you don't want to miss it. tvlr.fm slash store. Um, so yeah, donate to our fundraiser at tvlr.fm slash expand. Pre-order our merch or buy some of our remaining merch at tvlr.fm slash store. Become a sustaining member at tvlr.fm slash donate and bookmark tvlr.fm because there's going to be it's going to be a lot more active coming up, folks. So bookmark tvlr.fm. Yeah, we already have uh, articles in the works. We have articles that have been written. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think y'all will as well. Absolutely. Infinite Content says, Good morning, Adam and Jacob. Congrats on hitting 3,000 subs. Thank you. I appreciate it. Looking forward to your call later in the show. Um, yeah, 3,000 subscribers on the YouTubes. That's pretty cool. 
Um, uh, Strom's in the chat as always. Appreciate it. Army Mobility Officer says good morning. Good morning, Army Mobi Mobility Officer. Um, and uh, uh, Infinite Content asks, have we ever considered having the Left Reckoning crew on? We have had the Left Reckoning crew on, and we have been on Left Reckoning before, and we will absolutely do it again. David Griscom had a great article about the Warrior Met Strike in Jacobin uh yesterday or thursday and then he talked about it on left reckoning so after only after you finish listening to our stream and not a second before head on over to left reckoning and, and check out uh the griscom stream where he talked about his article in jacobin and um and the warrior met strike more broadly uh he has some good takes on it obviously. yeah absolutely i'll i'll drop that in, a, in the youtube chat good good but you can't leave right now. You, gotta, you can leave. You, you got it. Bookmark it for later. Bookmark it for later, just like you're doing with TVLR.fm. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and jump into the regular show. Last week in Southern Labor is a segment that we do every week, mostly, where we tell you what happened in the labor movement in the South. We pull the information from Jonah Furman's newsletter, Who Gets the Bird, which compiles all of this information for the entire United States. So if you want to see what's going on outside of the South, then subscribe to that newsletter at whogetsthebird.substack.com. And with that, let's go ahead and jump in a new organizing for the week of February the 19th through the 26th. 62 clerical workers subcontracted by Amentum to the Department of State in Sterling, Virginia, are unionizing with operators, operating engineers local 99. 18 plumbers for blocks which makes modular medical rooms in Bessemer, Alabama, are joining UA Local 91. Nine food service workers at Green Sage Cafe in Asheville, North Carolina, are joining the Teamsters Local 61. Eight dispatchers with the Texas New Mexico Power Company in Alvin, Texas, are joining IBEW Local 66. Two more bank tellers with the Lake Michigan Credit Union in Bonita Springs, Florida, are joining CWA. Nurses at the D.C.'s George Washington University Hospital are unionizing with the D.C. Nurses Association, which is affiliated with NNU. In wins and losses, we had 72 drivers and dispatchers for FCC Environmental Services Recycling Company in Dallas, Texas, voting 35 to 32 joining do join Teamsters Local 745. 29 ballet dancers at the Texas Ballet Theater in Fort Worth, Texas, voted 20-6 to 6 to join the American Guild of Musical Artists. 19 workers who make turbines for Ethos Energy in Houston, Texas, voted 11-7 to 7 to join Carpenters Local 724. And 283 workers at a New Flyer electric bus plant in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, get this, won a card check vote to join IUE CWA. That's very cool. Don't wow. see that every day. In strikes and bargaining, the Warrior Met strike has ended. Last week, the UMWA offered to end the strike by having hundreds of miners return to work in Brookwood, Alabama without a contract. That offer has now been accepted by the company, and Kim Kelly, who has been nearly synonymous with the strike in terms of press coverage, has the postmortem in the nation. Definitely recommend. Could not recommend it enough, in fact. 
ATU Local 689 is contesting Loudoun County, Virginia's position that the county cannot fine operator Keolis for failure to provide services during the now quite long strike of 170 some odd workers. It really kind of boggles the mind that the private operator of public transportation still gets paid by the public while it fails to operate said transit, doesn't it? CWA has announced a new tentative agreement covering 7,000 AT&T mobility workers and some number of direct TV workers across nine southeastern states, including Alabama, both in the union's District 3. We're going to be having more on that later, probably this week, maybe next. AFGE released a statement on their push to maintain telework from a climate angle last week. The union and other white-collar workers, especially in the public sector, has had rolling fights agency by agency to maintain pandemic-era telework policies, especially as workers have relocated and otherwise made lifestyle adjustments. In internal union politics, the ballot count in the UAW election runoff to determine the first ever directly elected president of the union started at 9 a.m. on Wednesday and will probably have a good sense of the outcome by the next week. Turnout is up by about 40% from the first round, with the final number of ballots probably going to land just a little north of 140,000 of 1 million mailed. The vote count comes almost six years after the first charges were brought in the Chrysler corruption scandal that triggered a Department of Justice consent decree that triggered a referendum on direct elections that triggered the union's first ever membership-wide direct leadership elections. In the final days of the ballots being mailed back and before a potential Caterpillar strike, the International Executive Board voted to increase strike pay to $500 a week which had been a hugely contentious fight in the union's convention last summer. In other union election news, CWA incumbent president Chris Shelton is retiring ahead of the union's July convention and is endorsing Secretary Treasurer Sarah Steffens to succeed him. Haven't seen any other candidates announce their intention to run, but you also usually don't see campaign websites for candidates who uh, expect to run unopposed. And with that, folks, we are going to go ahead and head to a break, and we are going to be right back with some Madison City Council updates from our local resident City Council watcher, Tristan Gilbert. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. 
If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAT. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can give us a call or send us a text. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. All right, folks, so let's go ahead and jump right into our Madison City Council updates. Tristan Gilbert is a local resident city council watcher for the city of Madison. Tristan, thanks for taking the time to talk to us this morning. I really appreciate it. Good morning, Jacob. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. I think we may have had you muted on our end. Uh, no worries. Uh, good to be back on. Uh, I'll try and wrap it up pretty shortly. Uh, the biggest news remains by far the possible transition of Madison to a council manager style government. Um, everything else is pretty business as usual, so I'll go into the details here a bit. Uh, just as a reminder, Madison is currently a council mayor form of government. Um, this separates the council and the mayor into a legislative and executive body. The council passes ordinances, uh, makes all the laws, uh, approves budgets, and so on. While the mayor is the 
chief executive and he hires the department chiefs, runs the day-to-day operations of the city, in addition to all the other things a mayor is expected to do, uh, such as representing the city at public events, being an advocate to our neighbors, and so on. Uh, The petition put forward by uh, Madison Forward is to transition the uh, it's to hold a vote, I should say, to transition the government to a city manager or council manager style government. Uh, in this one, the mayor becomes a the president of the city council and becomes a voting member. He currently does not get a vote, and he's sort of a an at-large member who is elected by the whole city instead of a, just a single district. So he's still different from the other members, and a city manager who would be hired by the entire council would take up the current executive duties, the day-to-day hiring of chiefs and other um, other public employees here in the city and the managing of daily operations. So there's a lot of drama around this. Um, not uh, Maybe drama is not fair. There's a lot of valid criticisms, but I think that uh, I, I, I think that there are clips that you can hear both sides from. Um, right now they're uh the proponents are saying like having a city manager would free the mayor up to focus on vision and strategic planning um i talked to a friend of mine recently who's uh whose uh, father was a city manager before and he said it tends to it tends to like lower the opportunities for corruption because you've got a professional who has to be approved by the entire council um so um do you have my uh, clips that I sent? I do. Yeah, yeah. We can go ahead and go uh, right into the first one from Kathy Patrick, right? That's the one you wanted to play first? Uh, yeah, she was by far the most measured. Let's go ahead and, and see what she had to say, Adam. Sure, and hopefully this is the correct one. I would like to read to you from the Alabama Code what it says about public employees and their rights to participate in political activities. Alabama Code 17-1-4, no person in the employment of the state of Alabama, whether classified or unclassified, shall be denied the right to participate in city, county, or state political activities to the same extent as any other citizen in the state of Alabama, including endorsing candidates and contributing to campaigns of his or her choosing. All right. So how? what was... And there is a second clip of her kind of, uh, if, if we want to go ahead and finish that one. Okay. Because uh, I'm um, not sure if that was uh, the specific one you were you were looking for. No, but I'll talk about her. Uh, sure. She's actually, very, she's actually very important. That's Dr. Terry Johnson. She's one of the leading figures in the Madison Forward movement. And mm. a lot of the other commenters at the council meetings have been accusing her of all kinds of horrible stuff. Um, but she is currently a public employee. She's a faculty at UAH, and she's on the Madison Planning Commission. And a lot of what the other commenters are saying about her is that uh, because of her current position, that this fails to be that uh, Madison Forward is not a true citizens group, that is not representative of ordinary people because it's not uh, just because she holds a public position. But mm. as she demonstrates in that clip, um, she has the same rights by Alabama law as any other citizen to participate in politics, to vote, to exercise her First Amendment rights. And that sort of the things they're accusing her of um, fall short of 
a really a really prudent reading of the law takes a lot of things out of context according to her anyway um for instance she uses the example of just uh she's free to use meeting rooms at the public library for example because they're available to all citizens even though they're public property the law forbids her from using public property of which she is a custodian to mm. advance a political cause but outside of that she has the same rights as everybody else and they're accusing right. her of being like a, a spearhead of a government conspiracy mm. yeah that's and we do wild. have a we have a clip here regarding like the astroturf uh accusations let's let's check that out why have we spent the last year discussing changing madison city government to a council manager corporate board what is wrong with the mayor council government when does the governance transition team plan to uh, define the problem? Why does whatever is broken need fixing? Why is Madison Ford the PAC that is circulating the petition to get a special election arranged to change our government referred to as a citizens group? They are nothing but an astroturf organization. They are not grassroots and do not represent most citizens. They have been created in a deliberate attempt to permanently install a political monopoly, government in Madison. So, yeah, that's a little bit more, you know, in terms of what you're, you're talking about with Madison Ford and some of the concerns that folks have about the organization itself and some of the accusations that are being thrown out there. Yeah, it's. It's funny, I, I sympathize with a lot of their instincts about it's like, well, what, what why do we have these people who had office uh, in in the city before heading up this thing? And does it really represent my concerns? And what what I think is that you've got you've got two groups of people who uh, try to be active in local politics. Uh, some of them just show up to council meetings to find something to argue about, whether whether there's a valid criticism there or not. Uh, others will have probably held public positions before, or at least sought uh, jobs in the city government before. I mean, this is Madison, Alabama. This is not. Uh, this is not high level. This is not state government. This is not D.C. Um, I, my, my instinct, if if I can talk about my personal opinion a little bit, is that the the criticisms of the transition are uh, looking to be part of a, a a whistleblower movement that might there might not actually be occasion for. Mm. But I, I do sympathize with some of their concerns. When I first heard about this transition, I was like, well, that does sort of uh, dilute separation of powers, right? Mm. But I think that it more transforms it because the it, it becomes more of a parliamentary uh, sort of body because the mayor and the other members of the city council still have some distinct roles and it, uh, they're all still elected. So the city manager has to play by whatever rules they lay down. And it right. also separates the current uh, current powers of the mayor into the day-to-day -day stuff that the city manager would control and the visionary uh, leadership sort of things that people elect the mayor for in the first place. So, right. Yeah, and uh, well, I did notice that she said that, that nobody's laying out like why it is that, that we want to do this. But, you know, I've only been cursed, you know, Curse, cursorily following this, and and it, it seems to me that the the reasoning that they're putting forward is 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 pretty clear. Even if like just from what you've presented is, is that you know they want they want to basically free up the mayor's time. They re they reckon that he's spending too much time on on you know like mundane like 
not political stuff and they want to give him more time to do more political stuff, more stuff, uh, you know, bigger picture kind of stuff and, and have somebody else do the mundane day to day running of, you know, I, I'm that that was kind of a weird criticism comment to me. And I would just say I I am understanding the same kind of thing as far as the rationale. Um, I know Army Mobility Officer in the chat said city administrator puts an unelected bureaucrat in charge. And I would say that's that's accurate. Um, you know, it's, the question is, how do you feel about that? Um, and my uh, thinking on this is it reminds me of the public school system where some school districts have an elected superintendent, some have an appointed superintendent. And the rationale behind the appointed superintendent is that this is a person who, because they're not political, they're not running for office, is better suited to run the day-to-day operations, right? To evaluate employees and hire and fire employees and that sort of thing. So, you know, that's that's my understanding of it. Um, is that, you know, pretty pretty fair assessment of what the argument's about? I think that seems pretty fair. The idea is that they would be electing them or uh, appointing them based on their uh, their professional credentials, somebody who's trained and studied to do this. And the, uh, for instance, the department heads, the chief of police, the fire chief, and all those they're they're also unelected and they're mm. uh, they they're appointed by whoever is mayor at the time. So it's however many steps removed. Um, that you that you want to be there are going to be some some people running things day to day who have been employed and were not elected by the body politic because nobody has time to run an election for every single public employee that's that's the you know the, the federation style system uh personally i'm kind of glad to be living right outside of madison city limits right now because i don't really know where i fall on this this is a there's a lot of valid stuff here and there's one other commenter who i didn't have time to fit a clip in for um uh, all she had to say was that there's a lot of vitriol and she was and she wished that the city would put out uh more reliable information so everybody know knew where to look to see to see what the what their options in this upcoming vote were mm-hmm. so all i want to all I, what, what i really want to express to anybody listening who lives in madison is to Get ready for a vote sometime in early May. They said they should know the date by about March 13th. Uh, arm yourself with knowledge. Um, learn what you need to learn and then go vote for whatever you think is best for the city. Um, because I am first time learning about all of this and it is uh, nuanced to me. Yeah, and we had another clip from uh, uh, that, that you wanted to play first. And I think we should be able to p- uh, play it now from Kathy Patrick about the uh, she, you know, her saying she doesn't uh, speaking about the relative value of a city manager, um, saying that she doesn't think that government should run like a business. Which this is an argument that I'm I'm very much sympathetic to that you know government and business are, are different and they should be run differently. But let's let's see what she had to say about that. Instead, you have used political propaganda, gave us misinformation on the city manager. Monarchy, no, I think that's, that's Margie structure. Daly. That's those okay. that say yeah, not city class yeah. doesn't matter. Have re- sorry about that, y'all. Our clips are a little bit jumbled up. It's okay. I'll try to send you a better listing next time. Uh, I think it was probably us. Um, yeah. You, do so, you see that other one? Uh, we have Terrell Johnson defending herself too. That's the only one that has not been played. Oh. Well, yeah. okay, maybe we didn't. Maybe we just missed that first one. So, uh, but, well, I'll, I'll try to summarize. I'll try to summarize Kathy's argument. Um, she 
she, of course, made that sympathetic argument. You mentioned how governments and businesses shouldn't run the same way. Um, I, I do I do think that she she didn't lay out exactly how moving to a more parliamentary system is uh, business like. I, I, I think I, my, I suspect that Madison forwards spread that let's run the city more like a business because they thought it would play well here in uh, right like libertarian Huntsville area. That was what I was going to ask. Is it because of like who Madison Ford is kind of associated with because it is maybe some of the more local elites and, you know, folks from the business community? Yeah, that that's a that's a fair assessment. It, it could be. Um, I, I didn't I didn't check every commenter's sources. I don't know if that would be even possible. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, well, so I appreciate that rundown on, on the the city manager stuff, and so the but it it has been decided, and there will be a vote. Yes, there will be a vote. It'll be uh, just a whole special election, just like when just like when somebody uh, uh, hops out of office midterm. So that's going to be sometime in early May. Uh, if you live in Madison, please uh, educate yourself and be ready for it. Uh, spread the word. Uh, more people voting is always a good thing. And so there were there were some other stuff, uh, other some other noteworthy stuff out of the Madison City Council meetings in February, other than the city administrator stuff. What can you run us through? What some of those were? Yeah, these are a little more lighthearted. Uh, first of all, there's uh, there were four new liquor licenses approved for businesses here in Madison. Some were like uh, gas stations that. were changing ownership. Um, there's a uh, I could go through them if you like. Um, there's also going to be public softball and pickleball fields that are currently being built near the Hexagon campus. So if you enjoy those sports, uh, you can get some pickup games in there. Um, there was a, uh, this is uh, relevant considering yesterday's events, there was a weather preparedness event uh, held at one of the middle schools, but it was rained out. Um, <laughs> I think about 20 people, I think about 20 people went there, but I bet they are glad they did because they needed that information the last few days. Um, there are currently Board of Education uh, uh, positions open. Uh, if anybody's interested in serving on the school board, I think those are open until March 8th. And there are several seats going up uh, for the Citizens Police Advisory Board. Uh, I think two of those are available now, two and seven, and then Districts 4 and 6 will be open in April. And that's the Madison uh, Citizens Board who... Um, um, the the word escapes me. A consult on what they believe uh, uh, police policy and things should be. So, and who selects are, those? Is it the council that selects them? Uh, yeah, I think they they put out applications. You apply. You speak to them. I I, I believe it's either the it's either the council or one of or one of the members of the council. Hmm. Um, I I could I could find out more for you for next time if you like. Uh, and probably the funniest story that I heard, uh, TARCOG, which is an acronym for Top of Alabama, uh, which they say instead of North Alabama Regional Council of Governments, um, they're like a they're like a group that uh, sort of give professional services to various governments throughout the area. They're they're moving to a new building right now because there was an unfortunate sewage flood resulting from a concert at the Orion Amphitheater uh, uh -oh. that impacted their building. And I presume disimpacted everybody attending the concert, <laughs> but uh, but I have not heard uh, anything else about that anywhere. I know that's a relatively wow. new building. I hope they built all the plumbing correctly. 
Wow. Adam, do you have any insight on that? I That's news to me, uh, and I've done some work down there. So, yeah, that's news to me. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, I tried to find some articles on that, but maybe it was minor. Um, don't want to allege that something was swept under the rug. But, uh, but yeah, I thought it was newsworthy. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Tristan, anything else that you reckon folks ought to know? Uh, just one more time, go vote in May uh, for what you want your city to look like. Um, but, uh, good luck to you. All right. Thanks for the time. Tristan Gilbert, Madison City Council Washer. Appreciate it. Thank you, fellas. Appreciate All you. All right. Yeah, it's a it's a tough call. I mean, I see both sides of the argument. Um, you know, like I said, with the school superintendent situation, I sort of I can understand the the appeal uh, mm-hmm. because my instinct, like Tristan's, is to always be for electing folks. Right. The more right. democracy, the better. But, you know, I understand like in the uh, context of, you know, public school districts, there's some advantage in having like an actual, you know, educator as the mm-hmm. superintendent, as opposed to, you know, the most popular Republican in the county, um, is which is what happens oftentimes in, in districts where it's right. elected. So you could have someone in charge of educators who's never been an educator. Um, and, you know, obviously they're depending on people's votes. And so that mm-hmm. makes the hiring and firing decisions more political. So there's there's pros and cons each way. Um, but yeah, whoever, the citizen who said we should not run government like a business, um, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> government and business are, are two different things and they should be run as such. If you've got an opinion on that, feel free to give us a call, 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. Um, so Adam, which one of these do you want to, do you want to touch on here? One of these, one of these quick hits. Do you have any opinion on, uh, yeah, I think we should, uh, we should at least update folks on the labor secretary news. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I, I think it's relevant. Uh, we have talked on the show recently that Marty Walsh, who was the labor secretary under the Biden administration, he recently stepped down. And he's going to go take a job with the NHL Players Association, uh, which is interesting. And so the current acting secretary is Julie Sue. She has, as of this past week, been officially nominated to take over the position full time uh, as the, the secretary of labor. Uh, so she's received President Biden's nomination Uh, We're starting to see more and more unions uh, put out statements regarding this. I know my union, IATSE, has already put out a statement saying they urged a quick confirmation of Julie Sue. So a couple of things uh, from the release about her nomination. Uh, She previously worked in California. Uh, She was the labor secretary there for the state of California where she, you know, according to the release, works closely with unions and employers to build uh, training partnerships and also to expand the number of good union jobs. While she was California Labor Commissioner, she launched the Wage Theft as a Crime campaign with the support of labor and management. She spent 17 years as a civil rights attorney representing workers, and that included a case where she represented 72 Thai garment workers who were trafficked into the U.S. and forced to work under barbed wire and under armed guard. So mm. she does have experience you know, from her legal background in dealing with labor law violations. Um, her work earned her a MacArthur Genius Award. 
She is a graduate of Stanford and Harvard Law School, uh, the daughter of immigrants, speaks multiple languages. So, you know, a pretty, pretty well-versed person. Uh, I was not super familiar with Julie Sue's record before this nomination. Um, you know, she has been serving as the deputy for, you know, basically the entirety of the Biden administration. I think it took a few months to get everybody confirmed. But uh, so, yeah, she's been acting as the acting secretary for now and Walsh's vacancy. She's up for confirmation from the Senate and we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm most interested in will we see a change in approach mm. from the Secretary of Labor's position because you know we haven't been very shy in hiding our our opinions about the outgoing secretary and his lack of action. I personally was very disappointed that Marty Walsh, as far as I could tell, never lifted a finger for the miners down in Brookwood. Yeah. Uh, has not spoken to any Alabama labor struggle, and I find that disappointing. And, um, you know, we'll see if if Julie Sue has a different approach. Yeah, uh, definitely hoping so. The chatter that I hear is that she will that that she was a lot more active as California labor secretary than than Walsh was as U.S. labor secretary. So so hopefully and and we'll, um, you know, and and we'll try to do some more some more digging and, and maybe give uh, present folks with a deep dive or have somebody on who can who can give us a deep dive about Julie Sue. Right. And uh, because I think that's relevant. Um, but yeah, definitely hopeful. Uh, cert certainly I would not expect her to be worse, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, it, um, we say that, but it could always be worse. It yeah. could certainly be worse. So, I mean, based on what we know about her, it doesn't seem like she would be worse. Right. Um, um, but you know, at the end of the day, cabinet secretaries work for right. their administration. And so, you know, to some degree, any change of strategy from the, the cabinet level is going to also involve change of strategy from the top. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, I think, and I think one of the reasons for nominating her, something that I read that kind of gave her a leg up is that because she's deputy uh, labor secretary, that would allow her to continue acting. And that would be one less transition that would have to be made. And she can also, now that she's acting, she can do anything that a normal secretary, labor secretary would before she is confirmed. And so there's, you know, there's there's potentially some like parliamentary tactic considerations in nominating her as opposed to somebody else. Right. So. Yeah. And that makes sense to me. Obviously, you know, the less uh, the less disruption uh, that there is, the theoretically, the better, you know, better services that we'll will we will receive from the Department of Labor. So, uh, yeah, just stay tuned on that. It, it will be relevant. And as we saw with the railroad strike uh, that was, you know, prevented mm -hmm. right before the holidays, um, obviously the Secretary of Labor can play a very uh, influential role in these labor struggles. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the railroad strike, let's talk about some updates on the rails. Um, Adam, there were, there were basically two rail updates from the last week, right? And the first one is the Bipartisan Rail Safety Act of, of 2023. Uh, what's, what's your understanding of that? Yeah, I, I found a statement from the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Trainmen, BLET, um, and they are 
backing the Bipartisan Rail Safety Act of 2023, but uh, their letter of support is pretty clear that it's not sufficient. Mm. Um, a couple of things from their release. So as they back the Rail Safety Act of 2023, that would require more stringent rail safety standards. But the nation's oldest union says the two-person crew requirement doesn't go far enough and should be amended. You can run a freight train through the loopholes, said BLET mm. National President Eddie Hall. So, you know, it's one of those where it's like, okay, Congress is doing something for a change, possibly. Um, but if if they're saying you can run a freight train through the loopholes, that does not make me feel all that safer about what's happening on yeah. our railroads. And if I was a rail worker, I certainly wouldn't feel all that much safer about it. Oh, and hey, this Eddie Hall guy, he is the one, he's that uh, rail worker that just defeated the incumbent, um, the incumbent international president. So he's president. the new He's president. the new guy. He's the new guy, yeah. He was just elected in December, um, and you know, so he he defeated uh, the he defeated uh, Dennis Pierce, um, the former president. Yeah, so, so that's that's interesting. interesting. I wonder how Dennis would have reacted to that. Yeah, that, I mean, he's um, you know, so the new president goes on to say, "quote If the language is not precise, the Class One railroads will avoid the scope of the law without violating the law." Yet again, putting the safety of our members and the American communities in harm's way. So I think if you are in Congress and you would all give a damn about American communities and workers, listen to what the union has to say about the loopholes in the Bipartisan Rail Safety Act. Yeah. Do something about it. Um, there was also another update. Uh, involving uh, one of the other unions, BMWED, uh, Brotherhood of Maintenance Away Employees, they had reached an agreement on sick leave with Norfolk Southern. We we mentioned that I believe last week that you know a couple of the carriers are starting to grant some degree of sick leave. It's insufficient. It's not what the workers have asked for, but it's you know it is some sick leave. It seems like company is making some concessions. Well, we found out this week it's it's a little sketchier than that even um, that Norfolk Southern was agreeing to provide some sick leave with the hopes that the union would in turn rescind its letter of opposition to the experimental track inspection program mm. that Norfolk Southern is pushing. Right. They wanted a little quid pro quo. We'll throw you a couple of days of sick leave. But you guys got to sign off on this new experimental track inspection program. Because, uh, I mean, who 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 wouldn't trust Norfolk Southern right, right. now in inspecting their own tracks? Uh, what could right. go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? So uh, definitely check that out from uh, BMWED. Check out that statement. Uh, they did post it on their official Twitter account a couple of days ago uh, if you want to get more details there. Um, and there was uh, one last thing, which is uh, The Guardian put out an article this week saying this is from Michael Sanito. And uh, mm, the title he's good. He's good. The title is Leaked Audio Reveals U.S. Rail Workers Were Told to Skip Inspections as Ohio Crash Prompts Scrutiny to Industry. 
Uh, this was an exclusive report with The Guardian. An employee says the manager told her to stop marking cars for repair as the Ohio derailment brings a hard look at the industry's record of blocking safety rules. So check that out. I'll drop a link in the chat. Uh, but, you know, just more and more developments that should only make us trust the rail industry even less uh, and should really encourage all of us to reach out to our government officials to actually regulate the damn railroads. Uh, I would personally say it's time, past time, to nationalize the rail tracks, just like we have nationalized roads uh, and interstate highways. But, you know, and that's what the Rail Workers United has called for as well. Um, but certainly in the meantime, we need real regulation and real oversight. Uh, the disaster in East Palestine is just, you know, the latest incident to prove that our rail industry is is very, very broken. Absolutely. And uh, with that, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll be right back and we're going to get into this um, this Social Security stuff because uh, there are some people that are trying to convince people that Republicans don't want to cut Social Security. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Very strange stuff. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Valley Labor Report. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. 
We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans, and we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers, and we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415-7452. Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better, work union, Local 366, feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Alabama's only union talk radio show, this is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can give us a call or send us a text. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. Appreciate the conversations in the chat. Uh, Mel and Joe are watching us on Facebook, as always. Appreciate y'all hanging out with us. Um, So let's talk about this uh, social security stuff. Because the State of the Union now was probably what two or three weeks ago, I guess, Adam. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a while. It's been a minute, and um, for some reason, when Joe Biden said that Republicans want to cut Social Security, I forget his exact words, but it was something like, you know, it's their dream or whatever to cut Social Security. And in the moment, they acted like this was crazy. They was like, oh, you know, booing. There was a, there was somebody called him liar, um, and that was just really bizarre. And the protestations kept coming out for the next week or two about how no, actually, Republicans don't want to cut Social Security. Uh, nobody wants to cut Social Security. In fact, it's so it's so horrible of you to besmirch our good name with you know the idea that we would want to cut a popular government program like this is so you know anti everything that we're about this is what the republicans were saying and you know the uh and and one of the people that i saw do this that was really kind of one of the uh just one of the silliest ones or, or one of the strangest ones was Cameron Smith from AL.com um, because he tries to, you know, his branding is like 
I'm conservative, not crazy. You know, you know that kind of guy, right? He's he wants to differentiate himself from the radical right wingers, um, and he's an opinion columnist for AL.com, and and he tweeted, you know, that uh, um, Biden knows this is a lie, and then he wrote a whole article about it, in which he said, in which he both says that. Republicans don't fantasize about cutting. Here's a quote from his article. Republicans don't fantasize about cutting Social Security benefits and Medicare. In fact, most Republicans in Congress don't have the political courage to reform Social Security and preserve it for future generations. Oh, oh, so uh, it's they won't do it. And that's a bad thing is what yeah. he's trying to say. OK, but then he says then he, he quotes some stuff. From Republicans advocating cuts to Medicare and Social Security. And so in the article, again, he, he mentions that Biden has been using a 2010 clip of Mike Lee running for office in which, and he says this in the article, so I mean, I guess kudos to him. Um, Mike Lee says, quote, it will be my objective to phase out Social Security, to pull it up by the roots and get rid of it. And then... Cameron Smith goes on to say, in most instances, Biden and Democrats omit the age of the clip and Lee also saying at the same 2010 event that current Medicare beneficiaries should have their benefits left untouched. So it's just like, you know, folks that are 30 or 40 or 50 that he wants to steal from, right? It's not the people that are currently, you know, have Social Security and Medicare ostensibly that he wants to steal from. It's us. Then he also mentions that um, Senator Ron Johnson talking on a radio program saying we've got to turn everything into discretionary spending so it's all evaluated so that we can fix problems or fix programs that are broken that are going to go bankrupt because again as long as things are on autopilot we just continue to pile up debt and he says John <laughs> Cameron Smith says Johnson's remarks are not a cut either unless Congress refuses to reauthorize the program and sure we could say if we're babies being children about it being coy that johnson here is not advocating for a cut but you don't try to put social security and medicare into discretionary spending because you want to strengthen it right it's the exact same thing republicans say in alabama about the education trust fund right right the idea that i mean and cameron smith is a smart guy i've read i've read his articles for ages for years he's a smart guy he knows, he has to know, he just has to know that what he's saying is, is BS, is BS here. Because you, you, you don't put something at risk of being cut or at risk of even sunsetting to strengthen it. That's not how it works. And, and, and that's the reason that this is unpopular, that Rick Scott's plan is unpopular because people know that if you allow Congress every single year to reauthorize spending, then it becomes more likely that the spending does not get reauthorized. As opposed to you have it in this separate thing that keeps going on automatic pilot, as Ron Johnson derisively called it. Um, and so, but, but it, you can see through his words here that he's actually like, oh no, they really should cut it and just call it reform. 
Well, and I was just going to say that, you know, another way of saying autopilot would be a, you know, defined benefit, right. a guaranteed benefit. Um, typically, we prefer those be on autopilot, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's just me. Silly old exactly. me expecting exactly that something you pay into your whole life will be there when you when you need it. But right. hey, it's just it's uh, the the. The idea that you would get upset about this is just so silly. It's um and and I wrote a piece in al.com and I expanded on it on our website tvlr.fm. It's the first article that comes up if you go to tvlr.fm. But you know I say that a hit dog will holler and this is this is what's happening, right? And and we know that that's what's happening because we can just we can just look and see. And one of the mo- the, the most concrete thing that uh, that I mentioned in the article is that the Republican Study Committee, which is a caucus in the House of Representatives, which is not a small marginal group, even though you probably haven't heard of them much like I hadn't. Um, they, you know, the Freedom Caucus gets a lot more press coverage, but the Republican Study Committee has three times as many members as the Freedom Caucus. Okay, so this is a much more, the Republican Study Committee if there is any caucus in the House that is representative of the Republican mainstream, it is the Republican Study Committee. And only a year ago, like 12 months ago, they put out a proposal, a, a whole budget. That, that this, was, this is what they said, this is our ideal budget for the United States government. And in it, there are portions about Medicare and Social Security. And so we can just look at those. We can just look at them. For Medicare, they propose increasing the eligibility age by two years, from 65 to 67. For Social Security, they want to raise the retirement age from 67 to 70, three years. Now, you know, obviously it's easy to intuit that this is a cut, right? You just, you hear you know, I'm going to be getting this payment later. Later, That means I'm going to be getting less money. In the final analysis, I get less money when uh, the payments start later. That's easy, to, that's easy to figure out if you're not trying to be some, you know, brain, galaxy brain genius Republican commentator. But just how much less? Just how much less? In real terms, quote unquote, raising the retirement age to 70 for social security means a 20% cut in benefits a 20% cut that's a lot that is a lot of money raising the eligibility age for medicare to uh, to 67 means saddling 65 and 66 year olds with thousands of dollars more each year in healthcare costs. And it would also mean that Americans would spend more money on healthcare because while the federal government would save money, it would only do so by shifting the burden to elderly individuals, employers, and Medicaid, which are all less efficient than Medicare. And this is easy to understand, right? Because if Medicare is not paying for healthcare for 65 and 66-year-olds, that healthcare, those costs don't just disappear. They, they don't just go into a vacuum and they get healthcare for free for some reason. Somebody has to pay for it. 
Somebody has to pay for it. And if it's not going to be Medicare, they're going to have to pay it out of pocket. They're probably going to have to pay for it uh, by waiting to retire. Their employer is going to have to pay for it or Medicaid is going to have to pay for it. All of those options are less efficient than Medicare. And that's just, like I said, just from last year, from the most mainstream of mainstream Republican caucuses in the House of Representatives in D.C. This is what they're proposing. A 20% cut in Social Security benefits and thousands of dollars every year for 65 and 66-year-olds in healthcare costs. But of course, you do have people like Mike Lee wanting to just abolish the things. And then you also have politicians, which is the, the most politician answers, like Kevin McCarthy back in October when he was saying about this debt ceiling, about these upcoming debt ceiling negotiations, Kevin McCarthy refused to say whether or not Medicare and Social Security would be on the chopping block in these negotiations. And that's like a super politician thing. Oh, you know, you know I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to predetermine. I'm not going to predetermine it. Maybe we'll steal from old people, but maybe we won't. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. That's what Kevin McCarthy was saying in October. And of course, since then, he's taken that off the table. But so just in, the, in recent history, within the last year, we can see there is an appetite among the Republicans that are elected to cut Social Security and Medicare. And that is not anomalous. Conservative Republicans have always been opposed to these programs, like they're opposed to program any programs that help working people, right? That's kind of their MO. For the American Prospect, Richard Esco noted that Republicans claimed the effect of these programs would be like, quote-unquote, the lash of a dictator while they were being debated. While people were debating in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House about whether or not to implement Social Security and Medicare, that was some of the debate that Republic. That was some of the words that Republicans said in opposition to these programs. They said this would be like the lash of a dictator, and that tradition of continuing to liken programs that support working people in their old age to despotism was also continued by Barry Goldwater in his 1960 book, The Conscience of a Conservative. This is not anomalous. This is totally in the conservative Republican tradition. Cutting Social Security and Medicare. Not implementing it in the first place. And, and of course, you know, talking about is it despotism for old people to have health care? Right. <laughs> is it despotism for old people not to be in poverty? You know, anybody living in the real world can see that those arguments are silly because far from restricting the freedom of seniors, these programs have brought and kept millions out of poverty. Before Medicare and Social Security, roughly half of seniors were poor. Today, that number is less than 10%. And without those programs, it's estimated that elder poverty would again shoot up to nearly 40%. And so, you know, I want you to let that sink in and then ask yourself and ask anybody who has been both poor and not poor under which set of circumstances they felt more free. And there you're going to have your rebuttal to Goldwater, right? Because obviously you feel more free <laughs> when you're not poor. 
it's obvious, obvious. And, you know, so, and I've been talking about how Republicans have been historically opposed to Medicare and Social Security, but I don't want to paint, like, a misleading picture, right? Because the only real champions for these programs have been, you know, organizations like unions, elderly advocacy organizations, and occasionally, you know, the good progressive Democrat or a Democrat that's been pressured by their base to support these programs, Democratic politicians have also locked arms with Republicans in the past to attempt to destroy these programs. And in fact, you know, no less than Biden himself was playing the role of a fiscal hawk in the 70s, saying that we should freeze federal spending, including Social Security and Medicare. Most recently, Obama was willing to execute cuts to the program, but Republicans at the time were not willing to take yes for an answer because... Obama back in uh, what what was that? When was that Adam? 2012, 2014? He was willing to cut Social Security and Medicare, basically implement their program in exchange for raising taxes a little bit on the rich. His so-called grand bargain. Yeah. To try to to try to bring the deficit in line. And Republicans were like, uh, you know, yes, we hate poor people, but we love our wealthy donors more. <laughs> and so, you know, we can't stomach a, a tax increase on wealthy people, even if we would be able to, you know, steal money from poor people. We just can't do it. Uh, but fortunately, you know, that's really not the case anymore. And of course, there's probably some Democrats that like in the privacy of their offices or whatever, they agree that, you know, cutting these programs is, is important or whatever, but that's not the open position. They can't say that anymore because it's just not politically tenable. And so, meanwhile, Republicans, as illustrated above, are still, they are still very much interested in pursuing cuts. And now one of the things that people like Cameron Smith are going to try to do to advocate cuts is they're going to dress the cuts up as the only way to save the programs. Right. We've got to cut from a little bit here, a little bit there, so that everybody else can still get some benefit. Right. So, you know, that's what they say. This is the only way to save the program, and therefore, it's not a cut. And so, we'll get to why that's wrong in a minute. It's not the only way to save the program. But even if it was, that wouldn't make it not a cut, right? You know, I mean, to 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 create a too descriptive analogy if your doctor were to recommend amputation you know to save your life that would be a cut you know like in the most literal sense that would still be a cut it would be cutting off your arm now maybe it's good to cut off your arm in this instance because maybe there's an infection and it's going to kill you if you don't cut it off but it's still a cut you got to understand that Right. And union bargaining committees are going to do this all the time as well. They're going to a good union bargaining committee. Once they get the best that they think they can from the company, they're going to tell their members and say, look, you know, this is what these are the pros. These are the cons, you know, and, and here's a cut here. But you get this here. And you let the people decide if that makes sense. But people like Cameron Smith, they're not willing to do that. They're not willing to just say Cuts are necessary to save the program. Uh, but it's also clear that cuts are not necessary to save the program. Because while right. it's true that, you know, in 2034, Social Security payments are going to be cut by 23% if the program's left alone. And in 2028, 
Medicare will only be able to cover an estimated 90% of hospital costs, hospital uh, payment costs. And so there's definitely changes needed, but cuts aren't the only way to do that. There are other ways to, to save the programs. And one way, which was released before Cameron's article, and so the idea that he didn't know about this when he wrote the article, trying to make it seem like cuts were the only way to save the program, that's kind of, a, kind of absurd. But Bernie Sanders, he released his, he reintroduced his Social Security Expansion Act, which would not only maintain the current level of payments, but actually increase the payments by $2,400 a year. Uh, for Social Security. Right. It would protect the program for 75 years. Yes. So he would increase the payments and make sure that it is, uh, uh, it's viable for 75 years. Wow. How does he do that? Does he expropriate all of the wealth in America? Does he take away all the companies? Does he take away, does he execute Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos? Is that how he pays for all of this? No. The only thing that he does is he lifts the Social Security tax cap on income over $250,000. That just means that a millionaire, somebody who's making millions of dollars a year, is going to pay the same amount into Social Security as a percentage of their income as you do, as I do. Because all of our income is taxed at, what, 7%? Uh, towards Social Security up to $160,000. And then for some reason, every dollar you make over $160,000 is just doesn't get taxed. Doesn't get taxed for Social Security. And so you have this bizarre situation where, you know, these people are supposed to love small business owners. A small business owner making $160,000 a year pays the same into, into Social Security as a multi-millionaire does. At, at, as a real value. How does that make any sense? How does that make any sense? It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. So all it does is have people pay the same rate that working people do, if they're millionaires, into Social Security. And you get to expand the program. So there we go. And then, you know, look, that's not even the only way to do it. For less drastic measures, you could just raise the cap incrementally to keep the same level of payments. There's several ways to save the programs. And then for Medicare, there are lots of proposals that would allow Medicare to cut spending by negotiating drug costs and increase revenue by increasing taxes on people and corporations that disproportionately benefited from the pandemic without forcing Medicare recipients to pay more for health care. There are lots of options on the table besides making poor people and old people pay more. But that's not what Republicans want to do. But we can have that conversation. But to do that, we got to be honest about it. And the honest assessment of every single Republican proposal to quote-unquote reform Social Security is that senior citizens get less. Every single one. You cannot show me a single Republican policy proposal that saves Social Security and Medicare that doesn't mean you get less in old age. Not a one. Doesn't exist. And contrary to what Republicans and maybe even some conservative Democrats will say, when they propose that working people get less in old age, that is a cut. 
that's a cut. Bottom line, I mean, yeah. and and we should accept no cuts to any of our benefits that were hard won, hard fought, and frankly are insufficient as they are. Mm -hmm. And to the idea that we would cut even further is uh, cruel and uh, completely unnecessary in a country of such great wealth, the wealthiest country in the history of the world. You're telling me we can't afford Medicare and Social Security. Uh, it's it's absurd, and as you point out, it is just a means to protect those who are already wealthy. It's it's uh, a slap in the face that vast majority of working class people pay Social Security taxes on their entire paycheck, and yet their bosses do not. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So wanted to make sure we uh we hit our plugs as well yeah. uh before we wrap up this afternoon or this morning. I know we've got uh, we've got something quite interesting from that that attorney coming. Yeah. Would you like to go ahead and do the plugs first? Yeah, yeah, we can go ahead and do these plugs. Um <clears throat> North Alabama DSA has put out an open call for any current and past members to provide assistance with aid related activities uh for the recent storms that passed through our regions. Uh, so helpful items include chainsaws, ropes, tarps, pickup trucks, and anything else that may assist in the removal of debris and general cleanup. Contact North Alabama DSA if you'd like to help. Alabama Arise is meeting on March the 6th from 6 to 7 p.m. You can join them online uh, for an action briefing that will inform and equip you to act strategically to make uh, their vision of a better Alabama a reality. The United Women Women of Color have some volunteer opportunities coming up, so sign up for their emails at uwoc.org. Their next installment of the community series will be a virtual event on Thursday, March the 9th from 6 to 7.30, featuring our friends at the Huntsville Bell Fund, so check that out. The Huntsville IWW is having their general membership branch meeting online to, uh, on March the 13th. So if you're a member, make sure you check your inbox to confirm you received the notice. And if you're not a member, then maybe go ahead and join before the next meeting. The Tennessee Valley Progressive Alliance is hosting Dana Sweeney from Alabama Appleseed Center for Law and Justice to discuss state legislative issues and Appleseed's latest research and activism. The event will be held on March 14th, 6 p.m. at the downtown Huntsville Library Main Auditorium. As they do each month, our friends at Labor Notes are hosting a series of online trainings. The March Stewards Workshop is titled Communicating with Members. Ooh, I may, um, I may sign up for that one. And will be Thursday, March 23rd from... 7 to 8.30. Meanwhile, the March series of a success, Secrets of a Successful Organizer will be from 5 to 7 on Mondays, March 6th, 13th, and 20th. If you're looking to learn how to get involved in your union or in activism in general, definitely check it out. Thanks, Slaver Notes, for providing that training. Uh, just a reminder, you can leave us a voicemail at 844-899-TVLR by our hat at our website, tvlr.fm. Like, subscribe, and share the Valley Labor Report. All that good stuff. Donate to our fundraiser at tvlr.fm slash expand. Um, and so we are going to, um, we're going to uh, uh, go into overtime here shortly. But before we do, we're, we're going to kind of prep what we're going to do in overtime. And, and what, what's going to happen is that, you know, we've been covering this child labor issue pretty regularly 
pretty regularly over the past few weeks. And so there's this uh, pro-child labor lawyer that has seen our coverage and is kind of upset by it. Uh, he didn't like it. He doesn't like our coverage. He is he is a pro-child labor lawyer. Um, and so he asked if he could come on and debate us about uh, whether or not child labor is good. And so we're going to be doing that in overtime. And he asked us to play one of his ads for him uh, before the debate so that people could see what he's about. Um, and so we have that ad ready, I believe. And so, Adam, let's just go ahead and, and play this ad from, from this pro-child labor lawyer. Um, and then we'll be talking to him in overtime. Let's go ahead and play that. Hello, America. Have you or your loved ones been the victim of feckless unionists trying to end your career over the allegation that your arm might be amputated by the machinery at your job? Has government overreach prevented you, a 12 or 13 year old undocumented worker for whom English is a second language from getting a nice internship at one of the world's foremost wage slavers because of labor laws? Well, I got good news for you. I'm Diamond Drew Morgan and you got rights. Alabama, beacon of hope and light in a dark, cruel world, is currently under attack by activists who want to punish a Hyundai plant simply because they hired 12-year-olds and some of them lost limbs. Is that American? No. Someone needs to think of these kids. Luckily, that someone is Diamond Drew. I can't get them out of my head or my heart. Little 12-year-old Jesus, crossing thousands upon thousands of miles, multiple borders, ICE agents on his heels, with the legal right and ability to murder him and his entire family. He gets through all that, shows up at the Hyundai plant with his little resume in his hand, and they say, no, you can't work here because you're not an adult. Well, I say that's not American. Screw them. We'll sue them. But don't take my word for it. Listen to these satisfied customers. Diamond Drew Morgan got our unnamed for legal reasons workers back to work so quick they didn't even miss a shift. Except for the ones that went to the hospital. So call me, Diamond Drew Morgan, and I'll put them kids back to work. The Hyundai company was in no way associated with this commercial, which is something that we have to say in case they sue. Imagine that, us getting sued for a joke and suffering real-world repercussions when they have literally hired an entire family from ages 12 to 15 to work in their factories, but they have gotten no consequences. In fact, they have not been prosecuted. They have been rewarded with both state and federal subsidies, but we could be sued. Us, a podcast. <laughs> Diamond Drew Morgan is a trademark of Diamond Drew International. Call 1-800-DIAMOND today. All right, so there we go. Um... A uh, pro-child labor lawyer, Diamond Drew Morgan. Um, that's you know, so so we're gonna be we're gonna be we're yeah. doing it like 1876 style. Yeah, uh, gonna be asking him why he supports child labor. Um, I, I I will say that you know one of his customers was a very attractive young man. Um, kind of weird that he's like an executive at Hyundai, and then presumably he's paying this diamond drew guy to be his to you know to to i i don't even understand how this works exactly but we're gonna be we're gonna be talking to him <laughs> in overtime about uh why child labor why he thinks child labor is good so if you want to if you want to uh see that <laughs> then make sure you follow us on youtube where we are live right now and you can continue watching the show on into overtime where we're going to be talking about that. And we're also going to be 
talking about the song and film of the month. We're going to be giving you some advice about what to do when your boss calls you into your office. Um, that'll be, uh, uh, you know, that that's some really, you know, um, some practical information and kind of a preview for what you can expect from the uh, from Adam Solo Project Shop Talk. So definitely come on, hang out with us. YouTube, Facebook, the Valley Labor Report is where you'll be able to find us. And uh, so until next week, radio folks, all power to the workers. <laughs>